Hi, I'm Margie Nomura, and welcome to the Desert Island Dishes podcast. This is the podcast where every week I ask my guests to choose their seven Desert Island dishes. These range from finding out about the dish that most reminds them of their childhood, the best dish they've ever eaten, and of course, the last dish they would choose to eat before being cast off to the Desert Island. I hope you're all well. At the time of recording, we are still basking in the most beautiful spring-like weather, so fingers crossed that continues. I've had a very busy week, as last weekend I made my brother's wedding cake, which you will know if you follow me on Instagram, at Margie Nomura, because I documented the whole process in my stories, which was really fun to do, and hopefully I'm going to do lots more of that kind of thing going forwards. If you haven't yet left a five-star rating for Desert Island Dishes, now is your moment. It really does only take a few seconds to do, and it makes such a difference and helps other people to find out about the podcast, which is amazing. And I also just really love reading your reviews. So we have a very special episode for you today, which I hope you're going to really enjoy. So I'm going to stop waffling, and without further ado, here is today's episode. My guest today is Joe Wicks, otherwise known as the body coach. Joe has taken the fitness world by storm in just five years. He has gone from personal trainer doing boot camps in the park that sometimes people wouldn't show up for to a bona fide fitness guru with his own empire. He's written seven cookbooks and is a multi-million best-selling author, having sold three million copies to date. His first book was the second best-selling cookbook on record, and he's even been named the second most influential person in food in the UK. He boasts millions of followers across social media and has had the kind of success most people only dream of. But through it all, he says his mission has remained the same from day one, and that's to get the world off diets, become more active, and to eat proper food. Welcome, Joe Wicks. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. <laughs> when I hear that, I, th- I feel like you're talking about somebody else. I really, I can't kind of comprehend and, and sort of realize that that's me and what I've achieved. It's been a mad few years, isn't it, for yeah, me? It's, it was exhausting kind of just describing it. And I think the word journey gets bandied about a bit much, but I genuinely feel like that's the best way of describing what's happened to you. Could you ever have envisaged any of this? Definitely not. And and I always say to people who see me and maybe land on my channels and think, oh, he's got all these followers and he's had all this success and it's been overnight. And he, it was really an eight-year journey from start to finish. And I always like to share that story because it was a struggle. When you start out as a personal trainer and you're doing boot camps and you're flying and you're marketing yourself and it's difficult, you know, you don't have clients, no one's turning up, but I, I was resilient in that respect. And in terms of the success of the books, when I got approached to, to do the book, I had no idea it was going to be successful. I thought, you know, I've got an audience that are engaged and they're liking my, my stuff online, but are they going to really translate into an actual physical, you know, book sale and I'm going to buy the product? And, you know, it's just been phenomenal. When I think about, yeah, like the comparisons between other TV chefs that have been on TV for 20 years, and I think I've sold 3 million books with, with very little TV, and it's just the power of, you know, social media and having a really engaged audience online. It's unbelievable. And it is kind of, you, c- you probably couldn't have even dreamt this because what's happened has just been so much bigger than possibly what you ever imagined. I heard an interview you did when I think it was right back at the beginning and everything was just beginning to take off. And you said that you'd, you felt like you'd won the lottery, which when I heard that, I thought that was really modest because obviously that takes away from all of the hard work that you put in. But does it still feel like that in a way? It just, I've just been on this conveyor belt, like kind of hamster wheel from the start, but it all happened 
in a, in a kind of organic, nice sort of pace where, you know, I had an opportunity, like I'd be in a magazine or a newspaper and then I'd get on Sunday brunch or, or um, like this morning or Good Morning Britain, little kind of incremental things. So I can't say I woke up and thought I was successful. It's been a, a gradual process and different things came and opportunities, but it is, I do feel very lucky and very grateful that I've managed to kind of harness social media in a positive way and really get my personality across through effectively a 15 second video, which not only not only kind of made people laugh, but it also inspired them to actually get cooking. And so that's my proudest achievement of all the things I've achieved is I know that I've affected millions of people and got them cooking and feeling good. Yeah, it's amazing. And in in the introduction, I said that you're the second most influential person in food in the UK, which is pretty amazing. I'm guessing second only to Jamie Oliver. Yeah, it's got to be top top boy is Jamie Oliver, yeah. isn't it? He always <laughs> will be top boy. But And I've got so much respect for him and he's such a nice guy. We've actually connected a little bit. We've done a little bit of filming together and I ask him for advice. He really helps me. You know, he mentors me a little bit with certain things. And I love the fact that he's been around for so long and he's had some of the best, most successful cookbooks. And then like you look, you know, a year or so ago, he released five ingredients and it sold over a million copies. So I like knowing that I may have a few dips and I may not sell, you know, every book might not be a smash, but I know that if I had the right idea at the right time, I could catch another wave of success and have a really good product. So it is, um, it is challenging when I've had such success with my first book that all the other books live in its shadows mm. and on their own, they're still like incredibly successful books, but you compare it to the red one and you think, well, how are you ever going to you know, replicate that? But yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not too worried. I just think as long as I'm sharing good content and, and inspiring, then I'll still be around in the next 20 years. Yeah. That's such an interesting, I hadn't even thought about that, but yeah, you're right. Each of those ones as a standalone is still a huge success. It's just the first one was just a phenomenon. Okay. Let's dive straight into the first desert island dish. And that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood. The dish that most, most reminds me of my childhood is actually the only thing my mum can really cook. And I always say this in interviews and it's not in a nasty way, yeah. <laughs> but she had my brother when she was 17 or she left home at 15. She had my brother when she was 17. She had me when she was 19. So, you know, nutrition and education around food, it just was non-existent. And, you know, she did the best she could, but my, you might think I had a really healthy child in the upbringing, but it was all like sandwiches and crisps and we'd have a picnic, which would be, you know, yeah, like you come home picnic for dinner it'd be a sandwich with crisps you know wagon wheels ice gems it was really really unhealthy food i pretty much lived off sugar but the one thing she could cook because my mum is actually italian is okay. lasagna so my mum's lasagna is the dish that reminds me mostly of my childhood um and just just so you know like it was literally like dolmio you know white sauce dolmio tomato sauce it wasn't like she created all the ingredients but something about it when she put it all together it was just a really like it reminds me of my child, even when I have it now, all the cheese on top and she gets the pasta nice and crispy, like the lasagna sheets. And it's just a, yeah, it's quite a nostalgic meal for me. And you say that you, you didn't have the healthiest childhood. Were you always interested in sport and exercise? I was always active. Yeah, I was never, you know, I wasn't like a child that was overweight, but the amount of sugar I must have consumed, you know, we used to chug like Sunny Delight and just, ch- I just remember my cupboards were full of sweets and chocolate and crisps because my mum really, really had a sweet tooth as well. She'd drink like loads of cans of Coke and... It was just one of those things like we just knew there was going to be cupboards full of chocolate. So you come home. So I ate a lot of junk, but I wasn't, I suppose, because I was so active, always running around, always doing sport. I wasn't a child that was, um, was overweight in any way. But my, yeah, my, desi- my kind of passion with food came a lot later in life. Yeah. I wanted to say that what you're doing in schools at the moment is absolutely amazing. And the focus with children being on movement rather than just fixating on the foods that they're eating. Tell us a bit more about what you're doing. 
Yeah, a really big passion project for me at the moment is working with children and, and getting school kids exercising. So I've been doing these workouts live on YouTube. I stream it and schools all over the UK and all over the world take part. And you've got children in like their classrooms in their uniform, like a year one and two in reception. And you've got like, you know, older sort of secondary school people doing it in the sports hall. And I love that I've managed to connect with not only like adults and parents and teachers, but also engaging children in exercise because I truly believe that a child that exercises will be, you know, happier, smarter more intelligent and if you don't get them thinking about it at a young age they could become a sedentary adult and it's very difficult to get an adult into exercise who've never done it as a kid yeah that's so true and you've said that you want to do for school exercise what jamie oliver did for food have you been surprised at the current situation like some of the schools that you've been to don't even have a pe teacher it's really common now that yeah the academic subjects are obviously the priority so some schools don't have an actual designated PE teacher. Sometimes the, the sport and physical activities are getting pushed out of the curriculum because there's more emphasis on the other stuff. But, you know, I know that me as a child and even as an adult, when I exercise in the morning, I'm more focused, I'm more productive, I get more done. And it's the same for a child. If a child exercises and we've proved it, it doesn't take money or facilities. It's just like get in the, get in the sports hall or the classroom, press play, let the kids take part in this 15 minute workout. All the, all the kind of anecdotal evidence has been that the children have been so much more alert more more you know increased attention and focus so it's essential it's and it's and it's not even just about the educational it's just like a mental health wellness mindset self-confidence a child that goes through school you know inactive sedentary and overweight is a very different child who goes through, ex- uh, through school as a fit happy confident little kind of or athlete or or, or or active child so i really believe in that i really want to make a difference with that and i think that'll be my legacy like you remember jamie oliver school dinners of all the things he's done it's the thing you remember so i think in five ten years time the thing that people will remember me for is the guy that got you know britain's kids active and healthy yeah what an amazing mission and i think it's also so clever because as you say these kids are on facebook they're on youtube anyway so why not use it to help them start exercising it's very clever yeah, using tech. I'm using YouTube and the platform they're on and disrupting yeah. it a little bit and saying, I know you're going to be watching your, you know, your PewDiePie's and your KSI's and all these videos, but let's just do 50 minutes of movement and exercise yeah. and see how you'll feel. And the best result for me is when a child does it at school, goes home to his mum and says, mum, can I do one of my workouts with Joe on the Body Coach TV? And that is happening on a small scale. Yeah, that's amazing. It's kind of like, how do we amplify that? And that that is something that I think is so important because people care and people want obviously kids to be healthy but who's really making a real impact who's making a proper movement and getting things going so i think that is the thing that is it's like a responsibility that i've got and i really really want to utilize my social media my power in in influencing people to exercise yeah also i really like that that's your sort of side hustle passion project and yet it's the thing that you hope will be your legacy i think that's says a lot about you let's talk about the second desert island dish and that's the first dish that you learned to cook so as I said, if I think about the food I ate through university or even like through, through, you know, like college, it would be things like frozen pies and, <laughs> you know, microwave curries and things. I mean, it's terrible. I used to live like that, but it was just because it's all I knew. But when I started getting into Lean and 15 and the, and the Instagram, one of the first things I really remember posting was a, a Thai green curry. And the reason I loved it is because I realized that if you had coconut milk and a little tub of, you know, a cut tin of curry paste, whether it was green or red or, or yellow, you could make a really, really yummy curry and it actually tasted quite authentic. And I'd use a bit of, it was the first time I used kind of spices as well, like basil and, and um, fresh chili and things. So I realized that with very few ingredients, you can make a really tasty, tasty dish that you'd normally have at like a takeaway or a curry house. Yeah. So you came to cooking quite late in life and it was just through experimenting. 
I was cooking, I suppose I was cooking, yeah, like through university. I'd do like the other thing, like a stir fry, probably the most I could do. But it was my real passion came when I had the idea for Lean in 15, which was like, I was probably, I was 25 when I started Instagram. So I think I was quite late because I was obsessed with sharing new recipes. I thought, right, I've done a tiger and curry now. What can I do next? And I'd do a, a pie or I'd do a, a stir fry or a kind of um, soup. And so every, every time I challenged myself and pushed myself to learn something new, because I didn't want to share the same content. Yeah. And probably sort of subconsciously, that's what people really liked was that you were sort of learning at the same time and showing how easy it was because you were learning it too, in a way. I wondered, so you've already mentioned that your mum wasn't the biggest cook. You've now obviously had seven best-selling cookbooks. What does she think of what you've become in terms of the food aspect? <laughs> They're all obviously super proud of me. And yeah. I've, I've definitely seen a shift in them in terms of their their health and fitness and the foods they eat and the decisions they make. So it's had a kind of knock-on effect, like a halo effect around my friends and family that I've got these books and they use them and they cook recipes. And If we were to go back and you were sort of 10 years old and someone was going to tell all your friends and family that this is what you would end up doing and what you would become, do you think anyone would believe that you would become sort of the second most influential person in food in the UK? No, I think they would have thought he's going to end up like being a naughty kid in school. Because I, <laughs> I was very like, I was a bit of a kind of, class clown I wasn't that you know I wasn't that focused academically but and I didn't even think I was creative I just was very passionate and very into like sport and fitness and activity so I always knew I'd do something in that kind of in that kind of space but no this it's, it's hilarious and my friends laugh now though, when they see me on like good morning Britain or the, this morning cooking a recipe they, they they send me pictures and screenshots and memes and just take take the mick out of me because it's <laughs> it's so far from the child I was and the lifestyle I grew up with and the kind of yeah the way I live my life it was just you'd never imagine it yeah also quite cool to have friends like that who sort of never let you get too big for your boots I'm sure you never would anyway but let's go back to the beginning of all of this which really was only a few years ago I mean I know in essence it was eight years ago but it, it feels like it has all happened relatively quickly you at the start thought that you wanted to be a PE teacher but you quickly realized that wasn't for you and you started out as a personal trainer but it was quite tough going at the start wasn't it and whilst that's hard to imagine now you didn't have clients sort of banging down your doors and you would go outside Richmond tube station and hand out flyers Uh, tell us a little bit about that time. I like sharing this story because it's really it's really kind of inspiring people that you know, when you go out and do it, whether it's freelance or you set up your own company or, you, you know, you're, you're fending for yourself and you're not in a stable in, employment, it's a scary place to be. And it's quite, you know, when you get knocked back, you lose confidence and you want to quit and you want to give up. But I would cycle. I lived at my dad's in Surbiton, had a mountain bike and a little trailer because I couldn't afford a van. So I had a trailer and I'd load up my kettlebells and the boxing pads and I would cycle from Surbiton to Richmond and get to the park for 6 a.m., I'd set up, I'd hang the TRX on the tree and the rope around the bottom of the tree and have all the stations lined out and thinking, you know, like 15, 20 people are going to come and it's going to be great. And then like nobody would turn up and it'd be raining and I'd be so disheartened, but I just refused to kind of give up. I thought the only way this is going to grow is if if I come back next week and if I go flying and if I get more people in the community to know that it exists. So I would stand outside Richmond train station at rush hour. So from sort of six, six thirty till 8am you know, handing out flyers and saying, come to my boot camp and just, just commute, commute is like annoying them every day with yeah. my face and my flyer. <laughs> and but did it work? It worked. Yeah. Because I did it for a year. I kept okay. going back and I just think people need to be more, more, um, have more self-belief and really, really commit to their decisions and not just panic and go back to, you know, their, their old job or their old kind of career. So for anyone listening, yeah, like if you're starting a company or you've got a dream or a passion, just 
keep working towards it because it will build. It might take a long time. I didn't earn any money for about a year. Yeah, I was going to say, I've, I've heard you say lots of times that whilst people do always say that you're an overnight success, you do always say that you sent 20,000 tweets on Twitter before making a penny and over a thousand pictures on Instagram. So you did, you know, you were out there working hard before this all kicked off. Yeah, so along alongside the personal training when I was doing the boot camps and that kind of built up, that's when I started sharing th- stuff on Twitter and Instagram and I was doing it all. I was building my community. I was doing Instagram and Facebook and I was doing the boot camps, but eventually it became too much and I, I switched and I kind of passed the boot camp onto a friend, but it was, it was, the, I put in the same effort and consistency with my social media as I did with my boot camp in real life. And I, I had, I had no idea I was going to monetize it. I really, really didn't. When I was posting on Twitter in 2013 and Instagram in 2014, there wasn't really many like influences. It wasn't like book deals and brand deals and brand partnerships. You know, now it's like, it's, it's obviously a career almost. People say, I don't want to go to university. I don't want to have a nine to five. I want to be an influencer. And so mm-hmm. I may be one of the last or maybe one of the first kind of truly authentic entrepreneurs who came out of Instagram. But now it's like, they've seen that I got a book deal. They've seen that I've had all this success. And I think now it's like, it is a, it is a career choice. Mm, a that's career so option. interesting, isn't it? So when you started, it was, it was purely a passion project in a way, because yeah, it wasn't, you didn't know that it was going to turn into what it has become. hundred percent. Um, yeah, totally. And Instagram was kind of the key changing factor, wasn't it? When they start, when they introduced videos. Yeah. In, in 2014, I think they opened up the video and you could post 15 second videos. So I had the idea and I, I, d- I definitely wasn't the first person to share recipes. There was other people um, I can think of. There was a guy called Fit Men Cook and um, all these other video meal channels. But I just thought I'm going to do it my way, a little bit more personality, you know, hanging out the window, throwing stuff yeah. in the pan and <laughs> being a bit silly. And like I said, I can't honestly say that I had this vision. I was marketing and I thought this is, this is content marketing. I'm building an audience. And one day when I've got this audience, I can sell them a product. Like it just wasn't on my radar. It, it, it really wasn't. And people think that I had this massive scheme and vision and ambition, but my ambition was to have like a, a chain of boot camps and one day get a mortgage and one day hopefully have a house and be like the first in my family to buy a house. You know, we've always, we grew up on a council estate, like none of us ever had any, any kind of ambition or real drive. And yet, but as I've become more successful, now I'm really ambitious because I've, I've realized it's like I can I can achieve things and I can set set higher goals. Yeah, that's amazing. And and the Lean and Fifteen thing was that that really caught on. And the name was that something that you spent ages brainstorming, or was it just sort of like a flash of inspiration and you just put it out there and then? My ran. first few videos were so monotone and really quiet and really, really? Sort of, so I just didn't know what I was doing and I was a bit nervous and I thought I'm going to put it out but the idea because I had 15 seconds I thought and it rhymed like lean in 15 yeah but it was a 15 second video showing how to cook a 15 minute meal so I, I just cut through the noise and the confusion of a even a cookbook like a cookbook is great but it's still so you've got to buy it you've got to search through it and it's a bit like it's not it's not as visual as, vi- as video content so I kind of had this really good format that was perfect timing and people's attention span like it used to be 15 seconds now it's probably two or three seconds mm. i think now i truly believe this that if i started today with the same idea and did lean 15 today based on people's now att- uh, current attention span i wouldn't have had nowhere near the success do you think do you think that's true i can see because even when i do an instagram story people are swiping they can't even deal with 15 seconds and so nowadays like, if you're not catching their attention the first two or three seconds they're like next swipe move on oh, so goodness that's so are, alarming isn't it more and more um 
our attention span is shorter and shorter. Yeah, I do yeah. believe that. And so you found with the videos, the more personality that you put into them, the better they did, which I think is kind of amazing, isn't it? Because ultimately that means that the secret to your success is you. I get asked this question, like, how did, you know, there's all these personal trainers, there's all these people on Instagram, how did you stand out, like, in the UK or whatever? How did you make a difference? And I I think it does come down to, obviously, I really worked hard and I was in the, in the right time with the right idea, but it, it, it must be, it's just, it's your ability to connect. If you threw me into a party or a bar or you threw me into, you know, a gym and said, go and make some friends, I'd make friends right away. And so I just kind of, I just apply that principle to social media. I just treat people well and I'm, I'm kind to people. I'm friendly. I'm not offensive. I'm in, I'm trying to inspire. So I kind of, I just, yeah, I'm just being myself. I truly am being myself when you're passionate. I think when you're amb- ambitious and passionate and enthusiastic, people are drawn to that. It's like when you go to a nightclub and someone's dancing, having loads of fun. You want to be with that person. You want to dance with the person that's having the most fun. And it's the same as me. I was having fun, throwing stuff in the, in the pan and just really being energetic and being a positive kind of mm. energy that people are like, and I like this guy, he's making me laugh and he's getting me out of bed, he's getting me exercise and he's getting me cooking. So I just replicate that every single day. That's my mission. Can I get one person to exercise? Can I get one person to laugh and cook and go in the kitchen and try something new? And that's, that truly is my mission. And it's, if I stay on that mission, then everything else will grow. My audience will continue to grow and I can retain my engagement. Yeah. And we all need a bit more positivity. So I think that's really important. And I think the power of one, you hear that quite a lot, don't you? If you focus on the sort of whole audience, you almost are in danger of losing your message. But if you focus on the one individual and what you're trying to achieve for them. You start blogging or you start a YouTube channel or a podcast, you have to just focus on one new listener and think, can I, can I get one person to enjoy this today? And that's it. And yeah. that, if you think like that, you can have a really steady growth and you haven't got to kind of panic and chase scale. I think everyone chases scale. Like, I need a million followers. I need 10 million. But I'd rather have 100,000 really engaged people because they're the ones that are going to do my YouTube workouts. They're going to, you know, support my new book and then be there for, you know fans for life so yeah definitely I, and i'm really really so um great grateful for my audience and i still send video messages and voice notes and you know it's not someone else doing it. it's me because it's my voice you know when you get a message from me it's me and that's powerful people really love that yeah people must really love that let's talk about the third desert island dish and that's the best dish you've ever eaten right so i've had some really lovely food i've traveled a lot since i've met Rosie we've had some wonderful holidays and I do love my favorite thing is I love cooking at home but I also love eating in nice restaurants but the one that's the most special meal of my life is probably and it's a bit of a romantic one but me and Rosie got engaged in the Maldives (gasps) and we're in this nice kind of you know those little sandy island hotels and they they set up a private dinner for us on this little sand island it was like literally in the middle of the sea they took us out on a boat and they had like a little chef there with a little barbecue. It wasn't like a restaurant. It was just a guy with a barbecue. And um, he made us basically our dream. It's our, it's our dream meal that I kind of requested for us. What was it? So firstly, we started with some truffle arancini, which we love. It's just like, I don't know what it is. Me and Rosie just obsessed with truffle arancini. Yeah. And then it was kind of a mixed grill. So they had like tiger prawns, a little bit of wagyu steak. Say, is it Wagyu or Wagyu? Wagyu. Wagyu, Wagyu, whatever you say. A little bit of steak and then it had some, like a little lamb chop. So like a mixed grill, a surf and turf, so like a little bit of each with some lovely like grilled vegetables and some rice and a, a kind of jacket potato. And But we were, we were sitting on this tiny table with like candles and like beautiful lights everywhere and under the stars and then the dessert. And then I, well, then I asked her to marry me. So I, in, in between this, in between the courses, then I wrote her, a little letter that I said, oh, can you read this little letter? And she, she says to me, she didn't know what was going on, but she must have known at this point. And then, so in between 
the main and dessert, which is our favourite dessert, I asked her to marry me. So that was... After she'd read the letter? We did start as a mains, then we read the letter. Yeah. And she read the letter, and then then I got down on one knee and asked her to marry me. And then we had our our favourite dessert, which is an Eaton mess. Oh my goodness, that sounds amazing. And did the restaurant and the hotel, did they know what you were planning? Yeah, I said, because I emailed and said, look, I'm coming, I'm going to... Because Rosie was um, pregnant at the time, I said, my girlfriend's pregnant i really want to marry her have you got any ideas of what can i do that's special when you're when i'm there and they suggested this this little like island thing so they kind of helped me but they said what would you like to give her and so this is like her dream menu but also mine so we kind of share we share the food taste so yeah that was a bit of a cheesy one but that's probably the most memorable and i think it's nice that we'll always remember that food like we we, we won't remember the music necessarily but you know you always remember the food and the flavors and the, the place you were when you asked that oh my God, um, that question. sounds amazing were you scared well, no, because she was like, you know, she was carrying my baby. And I thought, She's not going to say no. <laughs> Good time to ask. I'd be pretty gutted if she did. That's a top tip for everyone. Um, so I wondered, was there a pivotal moment that you can remember thinking, hang on a second, everything is really starting to take off here. I'm onto something. Like, was there, was there one moment? Because I know that you say going on Sunday brunch was quite a big turning point. But was there a specific moment that you can think of? There's lots of little different milestones along the way like the first time you get picked up by like you know the, an evening standard article or the telegraph would write about you and that would kind of you get a spike in social media and your, your my online plans and stuff but i suppose yeah a big moment was definitely sunday brunch because they they did a vt with some of my lean 15 videos that were really like larry and out outlandish and stuff so <laughs> people like sort of they got they it caught their attention so the day i was on sunday brunch you got ten thousand new followers which is quite a lot wow that's loads so it lifted my kind of my my um brand and my visibility but then i did things like i've worked i did soccer aid last year played in soccer aid with like some amazing footballers yeah, and it's a big moment i've also done um a world record hit session in hyde park i did a, a world record for the world's largest outdoor hit session oh my god how many people there was four and a half thousand people so to go from running a boot camp where like two or three would turn up to within four years having four and a half thousand people in hyde park and i was on the main stage it was like just a proud it's emotional i was quite nervous but also like really proud that i brought people together through exercise and there was really fit people in the crowd but then really unfit and they were all working really hard to like stay in the in the workout to get the uh, world record so i was just super proud that was a very proud moment for me that is amazing isn't it i mean that much, yeah i can't even wrap my head around that tell us a little bit about the books because it started with one book and then that sold so well before it was even published that it turned into another book and now we're seven books later how did that all happen i was cruising along doing my videos <laughs> with my iphone you know in my flat in surbiton and i was running my boot camps and i was busy and just having a bit of fun i got an email um, from harper collins like and i thought it's a bit it's a bit how do they get my email and how are they contact me but they said oh can you come and we love what you're doing we've watched you online and we'd love to do a book deal with you so like, i rang my mum. i was like mum harper collins want to do have a have a meeting with me so i went along on my own didn't we really know what i was doing and um they kind of offered me they said to me there and then like we we can see something in you we'd like to offer you a book deal like there's no financials or anything but so i came away and i sort of thought oh this is great and i spoke to a friend of mine she was my business mentor at the time and she said you need to get a lit- literary agent so Obviously, the concept was there and the idea of like a Lean and 15 book. And, and they helped me kind of sculpt a book a proposal. And he sent that to all the different publishers. So then it becomes an auction where they're blind bidding for the rights. And it went from a one book deal to a two book deal. So originally, I got a two book deal with Pam Macmillan, which is a bluebird. It is the imprint. And because it done so well on, on pre-orders, you know, like we're talking tens of thousands of copies, they signed me for an eight book deal. <gasps> 
I mean, is that the first time that's ever happened? That feels I think in that short of. amount of time. And in the first year, I released, so I released three books in one year. I mean, that's very unheard of because, and yeah, the first one was just such an such a success. I mean, I think it sold 1.3 million copies now, the first book alone. That's absolutely incredible. And I think really interesting because I can definitely imagine lots of people getting that first meeting, you know, a book deal sort of bandied around and then you kind of just go with it because that feels so exciting. But I feel like that sort of shows how savvy you are that you got an agent and then this whole bidding war happened. I think that's really impressive. Yeah, because, you know, I would have just, if someone offered me five grand, I'm like, woo, that's yeah. a lot of money to me. I'm like, <laughs> would have bitten a hand off. But obviously, yeah, having an agent does help. But again, like they had no idea. My publisher said that in order to make their money back and like, you know, start earning some royalties, they needed to sell 70,000 books. They were like, but they budgeted for 70,000 books sales. So when they sold 700,000 in about five months, you can imagine why they asked me to do another book. Yeah, that's incredible. We're on to possibly the most important question of the day. It's the fourth desert island dish. Joe Wicks, what is your favorite sandwich? So there's two things that pop to mind. I'm a massive, I mean, I do love a sandwich. I make loads of different types of sandwiches and I'm, st- I'm even still like throwing in a couple of uh, quavers and what's it's in a, I love putting crisp in yeah, the sandwich. It's so good. If I go, to, if I'm grabbing a sandwich on the go, like I'll always have to buy a pack of salt and vinegar crisps to throw them in there for the crunch. Yeah. The crunch. It's but key. If, if I'm making a sandwich at home, I would just keep it really simple. I like a chicken pesto and sun-dried tomatoes. So a really good quality pesto and just like a jar of sun-dried tomatoes and maybe a, you know, a little bit of spinach, but just classic on a nice kind of, um, wholemeal or granary brown bread and that's it really quite simple but the, the sandwich and i know you've probably heard this before that jumps out i've just been to new york so i had the cat's deli and everyone's like, you've got to go to cat's yeah. deli <laughs> and for those listening it's basically a really famous deli where loads of celebrities go over the years and <laughs> you can order these massive sandwiches like pastrami and salt salt beef and stuff so i had the classic pastrami beef sandwich with um and white bread with the mustard and oh my god it's like is it as best it's so good you've got like pickles and like really thick bread and like the, the meat. I mean, it's literally like an inch worth of meat. They just layer it and layer it and layer it. But it's really good quality because it's, it's like slow cooked. It's like brisket. They like cook it for hours. It's not like a, a cheap meat either. It's a really good quality meat. So, so it is as good as everyone says. It's worth, yeah. it's worth going for lunch, yeah. And, and, and do it on the first day you get there because you're going to want to go back. Yeah, that's really good advice. Don't do it on the way back to the airport. That would be a big error. Yeah, that's my... I do love a sandwich, but like when I was a kid, I'd eat bananas, peanut butter and banana sandwiches. I used to put, yeah, like quavers in there. Like yeah. <laughs> anything cheesy, cheesy quavers or what's it? Yeah, they go well in a sandwich. And any crisp in a sandwich is... We couldn't afford cheddar cheese, so we'd just get what's it instead. We, we were lucky if we had cheese and ham. So obviously there are so many strings to your bow now. You started as a personal trainer, but is that still sort of the number one thing that you describe yourself as? When you go to a dinner party, how do you describe what you do? Or maybe everyone already knows and it's a bit like that scene in Notting Hill where he doesn't know that she's an actress, but everyone else does. I always, I never know what to say. Like when I go to America, you know, if the, if the customs custom people yeah. are, what do you do and I, I look at Rose and I sometimes I'll say like author and she'll laugh because like because she doesn't see me as an author I don't see myself as an author but yeah you're but, definitely an author and I, I can't say oh online entrepreneur like that's also really really silly <laughs> so I normally just say like I'm a I'm a fitness I'm a fitness trainer and, and, a, and, a, and a chef but then again I'm like I'm not even a chef so I am confused I don't know who I am right now but my I love dad, that you give this much thought to the customs man. Like he because they grill me because yeah, they say, they he says to me, what? Cause they like, well, I say I'm going to be here for three months. How, wh- where's your visa? I'm like, well, I'm just going to be relaxing my family. Well, how, how are you not working? Cause, they, oh, cause obviously really I've got an are. online business and I've got, 
the books and, and, and a company in the UK. I don't need to work in America, but they, they think that I'm going to be like jumping a visa and do, like working in a bar or something. So like, no, look at my Instagram. I'm fine. Yeah. They're like, <laughs> I say, I've got a book and they go, well, how many books do you sell? I'm like, well, I've sold 3 million books and they just sort of think, oh, okay, I'll let you through. <laughs> yeah. That's quite a good conversation. Yeah. To I always get grilled because they just, because I'm quite young and I think, how can a guy that's this young not be working and how can you support yourself? Yeah. And they're like, are you a trust fund baby? I'm not, I'm not a trust fund baby. <laughs> parents are skin. They ask very personal <laughs> questions. So I found a quote where you said, and um, this is what you wanted to do. You said, I want to do what Uber has done for travel, what Airbnb has done for hotels, what Spotify has done it for music, Amazon and Netflix have done it for movies. And I want to do the same thing for fitness. I want to create somewhere that everybody comes to. It's a destination. I mean, that's a huge ambition and coming from anyone else, it might almost seem too big, but I feel like if anyone can do it, you can do it. Have you always been really ambitious? That is my vision. And it's still, even to the, to this day, I still want to reach as many people as I can. And I use all the digital platforms. It's very, it's very hard though, in, in terms of, I think everyone's trying to crack that Netflix model of subscription where tens of millions of people signing up. But with fitness, it's like, it's very it's subjective. You might not like my training of me- my training method. You might not like my personality and videos. So you're never going to speak to everybody. I'm lucky that I've got guys and girls training with me, but I think in order to really build the Netflix of fitness, you need to have multiple trainers with different disciplines. So you'd have yoga, you'd have, you know, meditation and, you know, boot camp and kettlebells because you can't rely on one face to be the face of fitness. I think it's quite, I've realized now that, yeah, I'll, I'll only attract a certain type of person that like my kind of workouts and yeah. my personality. But that's a good point because you're right. You you have managed to appeal to both men and women in the same way, which is really clever. It's quite rare because normally you'll have like a demographic. You might have like, you know, girls getting ready for their bikini holidays or guys that want to go to the gym and get muscly. So, but I, I do talk to kind of a wide audience and that's mm. how my, my channels are quite big. But um, I wasn't, like I said, as a child, I wasn't ambitious. I just thought... I want to be a PE teacher because I really like my PE teacher and I thought it was a cool job and I thought I'd enjoy it. And then when I became a personal trainer, I thought if I can just scale this boot camp and have like six or seven locations and have trainers working for me, that'd be a great you know income and I won't have to do as many hours. Um, but like I said, that was it. I wasn't really pushed by my parents. Me and my brother, Nicky, were the first ever in my family to go to university. Um, and so, yeah, we kind of set, set a standard. We thought, you know, we want to be more, we want to do a bit more. And now, my brother Nicky works with me, which I love. We get to what he's like an editor and a journalist from that, that background. But now he helps with my digital content and my strategy around that. So, so fun. It's just lovely that I've got to work with my brother and we are su- together. I'm so ambitious. Like we're super, super driven now. And um, yeah, he really helps me with, with certain things. Yeah. I guess it sounds like you've always been ambitious, like wanting more boot camps and sort of building it that way. But the goalposts have changed slightly. So you're sort of you know, you're just working towards slightly bigger things now. As you become, as you become successful, you achieve small little things and then you start to really believe in yourself and set bigger goals. I think we're all, a lot of humans and all of us, including me, we're held back by our limiting beliefs that we believe that, oh, we can't do that. We can't change direction. I should have done it when I was 20. It's too late. You know, if you live like that and stay in your lane, you're never going to really excel and, and, and challenge yourself and actually do things that you mm. can do. And we can all achieve so much more than we think. Yes feel very motivated by this. Okay, let's talk about the fifth desert island dish. And that's the dish you eat the most often. So the dish I like, I'm, I'm all about speed. So simplicity, quick, you know, um, and like minimal ingredients. So one of the things I like to, I always tend to lean towards is like Mexican food. So whether it's tacos, tortillas, burritos, um, because it's, it's kind of a healthy option. If you think about it, you've got, you know, a protein source, you've got some rice, 
you've got some carbohydrates from the tortilla and, and the wraps and things, but you've also got loads of veg. You've got, you know, green beans and um, roasted red peppers and chilies and jalapenos and, and you can obviously put kidney beans and stuff in there. So it's a f- full of flavor, super easy to make. And sometimes I'll make um, chicken, chicken tortillas. The next day it might be fish tacos. But I actually went to Mexico on a holiday and we were in a really lovely hotel in Cabo and they had like a, a Mexican tortilla and, f- and taco like mm. tasting thing and uh, where you get to make them. And so I kind of use a little bit of that. And when I get home with Rosie, we just, it's one of those things, you know, you can put it all on the table and like build your own. It's kind yeah. of fun as well, isn't it? So for me, I'd say the thing I eat most often at home would be, um, would be Mexican food. Yeah. But things have changed a lot because like I said before, before I was obviously cooking for my, my Lean and 15 books, I was running around thinking what we're going to cook next. But now this gusto thing, I'm getting four yes. recipes a week. So my variety of foods has changed so much. Yeah. So I want to ask you about the gusto. So um, that didn't come about in the way that lots of people might think it did. did, it, did it sort of you actually approached them, which I think is sort of counter to what people might have imagined. Most brand deals come about by a brand will come to you and say, right, we want to do something. You can you hold this and say this is cool and use this and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but I basically had a really big opportunity of a supermarket in the UK and I was really excited about it. But when I saw the product, what it was they presented to me, it was basically like ready meals and microwave dinners. And it wasn't the kind of the, the thing I wanted to do. I, I, I really believe that people should cook. And my whole brand and my whole philosophy for the past five years has been, guys, you have got 15 minutes. You can cook. You can enjoy recipes at home. And so we approached Gusto with an idea to um, put some veggie lean and 15 recipes within the app, within the, the, the packages so that we could promote the veggie. That was as simple as that. Um, I listened to a podcast by Timo, who's the CEO of the company um, called Monocle Podcast. And it was brilliant. I just loved his philosophy and his mission. He really, really wants to get families cooking at home. So my brother, Nikki, uh, connected with him on LinkedIn, sent him a DM and said, can we come in and have a chat with you? It, it evolved really quickly into this thing. Like, let's have some body coach recipes in there. Let's have a, um, you know, some regular recipes and let's have a kind of partnership. But I didn't want to just be a brand ambassador. I wanted to be an investor. So I invested some money within the company. Amazing. Because I, I really believe in it. But before this, I was a customer. So my mum, my dad, all my friends, my brother, we're all using it because it's, I can't explain. It's like, it's, it's like when you download the Uber app, you're never going to, you never go back and say, I'm not going to use it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's solved a problem because it's convenience as well. So you get the delivery to your door and it's removed that stress of what am I going to cook? Where have I got to go and get the food from? And how have I got to like find time? So, but it's also such a clever balance, isn't it? Because you are, as you say, you are still cooking that dish. It's just, there's no waste. And the decision of what you're going to make has kind of been taken away in that moment. But it's sort of, it's a really clever balance. If I had done the, if I had done a deal with the supermarket and I had to come out and say, Hey guys, go and get my ready meals. I would have died. A little bit of me would have died inside. Yeah. When I announced the Gusto partnership, like I'm so proud of it and I believe it. And it's been such a great response. You know, thousands of people have signed up since I've had the partnership and it's the same emotional response that I had. What did I do before this? Like, what did I used to eat? How did I go food shopping? And so because I've got my mum and the closest people to me using it and we, we, we all talk about, we've got a little WhatsApp thread called the Gusto Gang where we like compare what we've got, and <laughs> give each other tips oh and God, stuff. I love that. And so <laughs> because I hand on heart believe in this and I've invested in the company I'm, it's, it's so easy for me to talk about it and so naturally. And so, you know, I'm proud. I'm, I'm more proud of the things I've turned, turned down. You know, I've had so many people offer brand stuff and I thought, you know what, I'm going to turn that big opportunity down because I, I believe in this. And even though it's a smaller thing, it's growing. I believe the future of retail for food is going to be things like Gusto, mm. where you get the food delivered to your door, 
and and it's just a and like i said yeah you get the recipe and the ingredients you're still learning to cook yeah and it's one of the things i love the most about it as you can see as i'm a super fan <laughs> is it's made me cook with rosie it's a social thing yeah that's we, so we sit there we've got the card we do half the steps each we talk through the recipe we sit down we're enjoying food together whereas before it would be like a lean in 15 it's a bit stressed or i'd eat on my own and now we're coming together and so Honestly, if you haven't tried it, give it a go. It's wonderful. And that is one of the amazing things that, you know, about food is the social aspect. So if it can bring that back into family life, I think that is so clever, isn't it? I was going to say that obviously it's sort of such a privileged position to be in where you are being approached by different brands and companies wanting you to represent them. But I think it's there is quite a lot to admire and respect in turning down things that don't fit your brand, especially when you've built something really authentic. I guess people would just instantly be able to see if you were doing something that you didn't really believe in. So, yeah, and I really believe in a long term, you know, vision of that. You can take the money in the short term. You can take all this brand deal and hold this product and take fifty grand here and a hundred grand there, but you know, it's, your fans switch off so quick and they see it's not authentic. And so I've had to turn a lot of things down and it's difficult when someone offers you like a hundred grand to do a few posts. Yeah. It's really, it, it makes you think, but I am, I, I want to be around in 10, 15, 20 years. And I, I know that refusing those things in the short term, it, it means my brand equity and my engagement and my trust and my loyalty of my audience is going to be there in 10, 15 years. Whereas if you're just taking everything hand over fist, you won't sustain it. Yeah. You just won't you just because people just switch off. They don't want to see it all the time. Yeah, that's a good lesson. Okay, we're on to the sixth desert island dish and that's your go-to dinner party dish. I've got two things that I think of when I think about guests coming over. Yeah. My first thing was always a chicken pie from my first book. It's like a chicken and leek pie quite creamy then you put a phyllo pastry on top and it's a really lovely because it's like 15 minutes whack it in the oven for like about 10 15 so your like door starts to finish half an hour and you can serve it with some mashed potato and some veg but i've actually gone up in the world because i'm now doing risotto oh right yeah <laughs> i'm doing risotto because i i basically i tried it through gusto actually they, they did a really lovely um it was like pecan sage and blue cheese risotto and i've also got one in my book my veggie book like a roasted butternut squash and basically i've realized it is, it's one of those things that you, you make with love and it takes patience. But when you get it right, you get the texture and the creaminess and you put a bit of Parmesan or something on at the end. Like risotto has got to be one of the most satisfying like tastes and textures, would you yeah, say? So good. Like, cause you can do it really well veggie. Yeah, like, also really... I, I'm kind of imagining like you've got people over and you're just like in the kitchen with a glass of wine making a risotto. Like you, you're sort of quite a sociable thing. Yeah. I, I like that moment where you're you're cooking and talking. It's like the build up to the meal where you sit down. Like, I don't just get them around and say, right, dinner's at seven and it's yeah. on the table. I like get them around at sort of half six. Um, and I've just got a nice dining table. It can fit like eight people. So I did my first dinner party a few weeks ago and I actually um, went back to another Gusto recipe. It's, it was roasted red pepper and sage risotto. So like you roast the red peppers in the oven for sort of 15 minutes. You start doing your risotto and then at the end you put the peppers on top and you put some fresh sage on and, and a little bit of Parmesan cheese. And they were all blown away. They thought it was like restaurant standard. And also, if you get anything left over, you can have it for the next, the next day. Well, yeah. Also, I like how, I mean, to keep coming back to Gusto, but I like how it's sort of influencing you even when you're not making the dish that they've given you that day. Like it's sort of the recipes are obviously so interesting that you're inspired outside of that. I mean, more that I mean, more variety now than I ever have, because I used to rely on my books and I would, I mean, this is your laugh, but I used to walk around and if, if I had nothing to cook and I didn't know, I'd, I'd go to the shelf in, in wherever I was, like Sainsbury's or Waitrose or whatever, and, and pick my book up and quickly grab the <laughs> ingredients for a recipe and go and make it because 
<laughs> you do. You just get that moment where you're like, what do I cook? And you might have all the cookbooks under the sun and you sort of, as you always lean back to the same things, you kind of repeat your basket, you repeat the recipes. And so I love it when the, when the app opens up with the new re- recipes, you, you just try new things and it's, yeah. it's a game. Honestly, it's a game changer. Like I said, I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you like this because I'm passionate, but I'm, I'm telling my friends and family every day, get on it, get on it. And so I'm a proper convert of, of the Gusto gang, really. On Desert Island Dishes, we've got a cookbook corner. So I wondered, what is your all-time favorite cookbook? This is a good question. I get sent a lot of cookbooks. And you know, the, I heard this stat from my publisher. The average person, when you get a recipe book, a 100 recipe cookbook, the average person cooks six recipes from <gasps> the books. Is that really true? Yeah. The, on, on average, they said like it's a stat. But um, one book that's come out recently, which I really love, and I talked about it a little bit, is Jamie Oliver's Five Ingredients. Two reasons... I love the two TV show was amazing. And he's just, he's so good at describing food, but the way it's laid out with the images, you've got the five images, the ingredients and the, and the recipe. It's just such a great format. And it's just such a simple idea that has been so successful. And I've made quite a few recipes from that book because it's almost like leaning 15 in sense, in a sense, it's just super quick, 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Just a really simple promise. It's a good option, but without, without like, without being, so that's my favorite recipe from now as chef. But if you ask me what the most, special book to me in, in all in all honesty it's, it's got to be my first lean in 15 book i call it it's called the shift plan so the red one um, and because it's red i call it the little red steam engine <laughs> because it just chugs along constantly selling never goes away and the reason it's so special to me is because it's changed the, the eating habits of a lot of people like millions of people have, 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 have got that book and got in the kitchen and tried it out for the first time and you know it changed my life and people's people's lives and my mum and dad it's, it's complete without that book you know i wouldn't be sitting where i'm now in this house i wouldn't have connected with all the people i wouldn't have had a tv show and a dvd and so i have a lot to thank to my publisher carol for like believing in me and taking a punt on a basically like a an unknown instagrammer who had a few thousand followers um and so i will always remember that book as being a special one yeah. that hopefully will be sort of remembered for years to come i thought you might pick that one in terms of most treasured because as you say that one book did really change your life yeah most amazing. i'm not saying it's like the best cookbook of all time in terms of recipes because i would much rather go to gordon jamie and the top boys for that but the one that means the most yeah it means the most and for simple like a beginner just getting into ex- uh, to, to food and fitness it's just a great little entry point yeah Okay, I can't believe it, but we're on to the seventh final desert island dish. And that's the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island. This is a great question. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm a massive fan of desert island discs as well. So I love this format and I just love knowing that you've got, I was thinking, yes, I always like this question. Because everyone asks this at like book signers, what would be your death row meal? What would be your last meal before you? So you've got a perfect answer planned. So you ready for it? <laughs> yes. Number one. Crispy calamari with a is it alioli or aioli? Aioli. Aioli. Mm. Crispy calamari with aioli, which I love um, because it's just a, such a like, just a nice kind of way to start your meal and just kick things off with a gin and tonic. <laughs> Secondly, you might think this is boring, but wherever I go in the world, I don't care if there's five star restaurants, Michelin star, I always order the burger. Okay, because yes. I'm just a massive burger fan. Not boring at all. So it'd be a beef burger with truffle parmesan fries. Oh, yes. So just a classic like burger and chips, but it's got to be a really juicy burger. <laughs> And then as a side, I'd have mac and cheese. Yes. Because you can't, I think if you've got a burger and fries, you want to dip your fries in the mac and cheese and put a bit of the mac and cheese in the burger. Yeah. You with me? Yeah. Joe, I'm sold. You don't have to convince me. So um, this is like a bit of a mix, but 
And a dessert, my favourite dessert of all time, is a chocolate fondant with like the hot, warm chocolate molten sauce inside and a scoop of ice cream, but not vanilla because I find that boring. It has to be chocolate, so double choc. Oh right, okay, so, yeah, yeah, choc on choc. <laughs> if I had that, if I had that meal now, like that would be my drink. I could die a happy man. I mean, I think lots of people might be joining you on that one. You're getting all the flavours. You're getting different textures. You're getting a bit of calamari. You're getting the, you're getting the truffle and the parmesan, and then the mac and cheese with the ice cream just to cap it off I mean that is a win and that right there is definitely not Lean and 15 but Joe Wicks those were your Desert Island dishes thank you so much thank you so much <laughs> I've enjoyed it so many delicious goodies in that one I am very into the idea of ordering a mac and cheese to dip your chips into I learned loads about Joe during that and things I really didn't know before which was always really lovely If you're listening and you haven't yet left a five-star review, please do, as it really does give the show a little boost and you will genuinely make my day. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget you can visit the website desertislanddishes.co for all the recipes, lots of kitchen tips and tricks, and you can also find me on Instagram at Margie Nomura. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.